We are The Table and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope that this message moves you forward. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you in the house of the Lord, and He is here. The joy of the Lord is in His place. I, I, yeah, no, I can sense it. It is great to be here. I'm, uh, I'm Brad's friend. I don't know if that, that helps, doesn't help. Uh, you'll have to let me know afterward. Brad, if you're watching, good to be here with you. Um, I, I'm, we're from Ohio, my wife Paul and I, and uh, we're with the Valley Church there. And uh, Brad, Brad and I get to meet about twice a year. We do this thing called the Gasoline Peer Group, and we just... We just hang out with each other for 24 hours, two times a year, with about six pastors, and we just share our hearts. We share what's working, what's not working, what the challenges are, so we have a whole peanut gallery that can speak into that, and it, what, what we do is really just throw gasoline on each other's leadership. So, so partly, it's that group that if, if, if he's come back and been all excited and done some things and started some fires here, we're partly to blame, and uh, it's just been, everybody needs a gasoline peer group in their life. I hope you got one. It's called a life group, by the way. And I hope you're involved in a, in a life group, because that's really what this thing is. And uh, 24 hours, two times a year. Now, that's not enough to do life, but it sure works for us. And uh, it's been great. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I've been uh, at, at the Valley Church for about 26 years. It was called Upper Valley Community Church. I started there, and it, it felt, we started in the basement of Hojo Inn, and there was about 70 people. And uh, we, we were just... Everybody did everything, and uh, you probably <laughs> are used to that. Every, everybody did everything, and uh, it's, it's grown over 26 years to, to about 1,000 people in a couple of campuses. And I have to tell you, the, if, I was going, if I was moving to Joliet, this would be the church I'd go to. I love what you guys are doing here, and I love your story. No, you guys have done a great job, and uh, God is using you, and it's just been fascinating to hear the story about how God has intervened and and with the move and just the, the opportunities God continues to open up. And uh, just, just exciting. So I love getting to be a part of it here about it. Well, um, again, I said my name is Andy. My mom named me Alvin for a day. Can you imagine that? And uh, I don't do the chipmunk thing. I'm so glad that that got changed. And uh, God is in the business of changing names. I'm glad he changed mine. And uh, that's a little bit what we're going to talk about today. I, I got a question for you. Do you believe that you have the ability to change hundreds of lives? Individually, do you believe God can use you to change hundreds and even thousands of lives? Yeah, it can happen. But sometimes, sometimes we struggle with that because we don't feel like maybe we're in a place. We, have, we don't have the abilities. Our station of life is too humble for that to happen. And today we're going to take a look at the story of Esther. Esther is, uh, is, is a book about 10 chapters long. In fact, it is 10 chapters long. And one of the fascinating things about the book of Esther is that God's name is not mentioned in any one of the 10 chapters. And for, for that reason, some commentators or some church leaders over, the, over time have wanted to throw it out of the Bible. Because if God's name's not mentioned, how, how can it have any, any value? And yet, when you begin to study the book of Esther, you begin to see God's handprints and his, his sovereignty and his power, his providence in every verse 
in every chapter of that book. It's kind of like a photo negative. You know, a photo negative, you see all the surroundings get lit up and the, and the actual image doesn't. But the reality is that because all the surroundings are lit up, it puts even more emphasis on the, on the main image in the middle, and that's God. And so you'll see it's like a photo negative in this book. In fact, God wants us to see that he's sovereign over all events. That's the reason in the middle of coronavirus, in the middle of all the difficulties that we find ourselves in in the, this day and age, is that we can trust that God is sovereign. He's going to work his plan, no matter what we, we choose to do. And he says this in Isaiah, he says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And one of the things that's really struck me as I really focused in on the book of Esther is God's sovereignty. It is how the reality is he's all powerful. He can do all things. He's got a plan and he's working it for good in our lives. And yet in the midst of that, and this is really, uh, I've struggled with this over the years. How, does, how can God be completely sovereign? How can he be in control of everything and at the same time allow us in his sovereignty to have free will? to choose things that have real impact in this world. And, you know, you may have a question you're going to ask when you get to heaven. Like, everybody seems like they have one question when they get to heaven they want to ask God. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. One, the question I might have is, God, if you're completely sovereign and you're going to work all things for good, and yet you've given us free will, how does that, how does that work together? That, that makes a real impact. And it's above my pay grade. It's a mystery, and yet God does that. He allows us to choose, and yet... Ultimately, God's plan will be accomplished. In fact, it says in Romans, it says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who've been called according to his purpose. And so we're to plan, but we're to trust that God's going to work it for good in your life and in my life and in this world. And I'll tell you, that ought to give you a real peace today, that God is working for us. And in that, I want to ask this question for you as we launch into this message today. Do you trust God to steer your life according to his ultimate purposes? Do you really trust that? Do you trust him to steer it, or do you feel like you have to steer it? Do you trust his plan, or do you trust your plan? As we get into the book of Esther, we, we begin to see that there's a, there's a real struggle in Esther's life about who she's going to trust. Let me set the stage for you. The, the Jews have been taken out of Jerusalem. They've been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonians, they've been taken to this foreign land, and now the Persians have conquered King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, so now the Persians are in charge, and Esther's people have been taken to, to Babylon. And, and so they're refugees, they're immigrants in a foreign land. Can, can you imagine being an immigrant today? Can you imagine being a refugee in a foreign land? And they're taken to Persia. This is modern-day Iran is, is where this is. And, and let me lay out the four characters in this story. King Xerxes is, the, is this all-powerful leader. The, the, the Persian Empire that day was the biggest empire in the world that the world had known up to that point, and he had complete power. He was also easily manipulated. He liked his special pleasures. He, he, had, he had ultimately... Um, he, he wanted to be protected from all the difficulties of the world. And, and so he was really about him, himself, but he was also smart. And then there was Haman. Haman was the, sort of a right-hand man to King Xerxes, and he was a puppet string puller. You know the kind. They, they're able to manipulate people 
Haman was that, he was that hanger on. And he was able to manipulate King Xerxes. And he knew just which buttons to push. He knew just how to work them. And, and he did whatever he could, whatever would work for him, whatever would build him up, whatever would, would work to his favor. That's who Haman was. It was all about him. And then there's Mordecai. Mordecai is one of those Jews that have been taken captive to this foreign land. And he's somehow burrowed into it. He's trying to do his best, even though he's a fish out of water. And then there's this young lady named Esther. Esther is, she's this young lady. She's an immigrant and a refugee. And she's in a foreign country. And she's, she's trying to figure out what she's to do, who she's to become. And somehow she gets thrust onto the stage, the biggest stage there is. See, her people are about to be annihilated. Haman has manipulated King Xerxes into an issuing a decree. It's an ir- ir- irrevocable decree. And their laws, that once a, d- a decree gets issued, you can't back it off, that the Israelites, the Jewish people, will be killed on a certain day. And, and that's, that, that, that's called genocide. And that's what's and that includes Esther. And so she's thrust in the biggest stage where God is going to use her in this whole mess. And, and, and I want you to see today how God works. I want you to see today how God works. And, and maybe it's going to be totally different than you think. Because so often, you know what we do? We focus on the hero. But, but I think God wants us to see something else. So if you'll turn with me to Esther chapter 2, verse 5, I want you to, I want you to join with me as we take a look at what's happening in this book. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. I want us to just look at two things in this passage today, in what's happening in in this life or death struggle over a whole people. Esther Esther was an unlikely hero. She, She was an unlikely hero, and here's why. She experienced some difficult things in life. And I just wonder here how many people maybe have experienced some difficult things. Like she had gone through some things that would cause you to curl up in a ball, that would cause you to quit, that would cause you to feel like there's no way to take the next step forward. And I just wonder how many today would feel that way, maybe through no fault of your own, or maybe it's been your, some of the choices you've made, but it's put you in a place where you feel like, I, I don't have a step forward. I don't have a path to go. I don't, I don't, I don't really have any ability to move the world anymore or to take a positive step. I mean, here she is. She's a captive. She's, her people have been taken from Jerusalem, and she's, she's this refugee. And, you know, if you're a refugee, if you ever, like, you've lost all your network. Like, you don't have almost this foundation to stand on as a people. That's, that's where she's at. She's, she's captive. She's also an orphan. She's lost her mother and father. Like, my wife subs in the schools at times. She, at least she has in the past. And and, and she, in a few minutes, can tell when, when a child has that, that secure network, that, that, that secure home life. Because here's the deal. If they, don't have, 
if they don't have that mother and father figure, they cannot thrive. Like if they don't have that, they cannot thrive. And, and so here you've got this, this refugee who also is an orphan, who doesn't have that mom to call when they need to phone home and, uh, and, and work through an issue that doesn't have that nurture and that caring. That's, that's where she's at. She's also part of the, the people of God. She's part of the Jewish people. And, and now there's this edict issued where, where the people are going to be killed. And so she's now facing genocide. But to top it off, she's a young female, probably anywhere from 14 to 18, in a male-dominated world. In, in a world where women were considered property, they didn't have rights. And so she grows up in this environment. And she's got almost no control over her life. In fact, King Xerxes uh, wants to find a new queen. He becomes displeased with the old queen, and so he, he starts a beauty contest, but it's not the kind of beauty contest you might, you might think of when you, when you hear the Sunday school story. No, this is a contest where he, he brings in young women, and, and then he forces himself on them sexually. And so the one thing that, that Esther has going for her is, is this physical beauty, and now that's even used against her. And so she's lost everything. Like, like, she has nothing. She has nothing to stand on, no foundation, no, no ability to change the world. And I just wonder how many of us here today would say, you know, that's me. Because of what's happened to me, because of what I've gone through, because of how people have treated me, or because of the choices I've made, that's exactly where I'm at today. And I can't do a thing. And yet, that's exactly who God chooses to use in this powerful kingdom to save the Jewish people. Somebody who has no chance. <laughs> and that's who God wants to use today. God wants to use each of us. You know, it's fascinating, but when you look through Scripture, you find that God allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery <laughs> by his brothers and he's transported, he's in prison, and yet he becomes the number two in all of Egypt and, and in just the right moment is able to save his people from famine. And, and then there's Gideon. Gideon is this scared man <laughs> who's hiding in a vat, threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a vat, but that's what he's doing. He's threshing wheat in a vat, and he's hiding from the Midianites who come raiding into the land, and God finds him in that vat, <laughs> He knows he's there all along, and he raises them up, and he says, you're the one that's going to free my people. I'm going to use you. <laughs> no, and yet God uses him against overwhelming odds, against overwhelming force to free the people of God. And then God finds David. He uses David, who's in some backwater, who is a shepherd boy, dirty. In those days, shepherds were the least of the least, almost an Esther in a sense, if you really understand where he came from, and, and yet he's chosen above all his brothers and, and above everyone else in the whole kingdom. They take this dirty shepherd boy, and he, he, goes, against the, he goes against the giant. He goes against the Philistines who are, who are coming against the people of God, and God frees the people of God using David. In every case, he takes somebody. He takes somebody who doesn't think they're able to do what they can do, and he raises them up, and he uses them. And he uses the weakest among us. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. It says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, the book of, of Esther, 
fascinating. It's not really about Esther. We think it's about Esther. It's got her name all over it, right? And we think it's about Esther. But it's really about a sovereign God who is working through Esther. See, the main character of the book of Esther isn't Esther. It's God. And the main character of your story is God as well. The reality is you and I have to decide if we're going to let him, if we're going to let him have control of our lives, or if we're going to live in fear. And we're, we're not going to allow him to use us. Gideon could have said no. Joseph could have said no. David could have said no. And I think if there was a guy nine feet tall coming at me, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think I might turn and go the other way. And yet, if we won't give in to that fear and we'll let God have control of our lives, he will use you and me. No matter what your background, no, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've become, no matter how little credibility you think you might have or, or, or ability. God wants to use you. And so Esther was an unlikely hero. So are you and I. I I'm an unlikely, uh, I'm not a hero, <laughs> but I'm an unlikely guy to be used by God. And yet he's chosen to use me. Now here's the other thing I want us to see. Esther's this unlikely hero, but Mordecai, he's a hero maker. Mordecai is a hero maker. In, in my mind, as I begin to study and really look into the book of Esther, the real hero is God, and the next one is Mordecai. It, it, it's, uh, God uses Esther in a great way, but he also uses Mordecai. Anybody ever watched Karate Kid? Come on, that's a great one. Yeah, the Karate Kid, is, is he moves to a new town, and when he's in that new town, you know, he gets beat up by these guys who are karate experts, and he's, he's walking down the road one day, and they they kind of, you know, they, they kind of bully up on him. And so Mr. Miyagi is there in just the right moment. Mr. Miyagi takes him on and, and uh, defeats the bullies. And then he takes Daniel on and begins to mentor him. He begins to teach him the karate moves. He, 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 begins, he teaches him way more in karate. And, and he helps Daniel, he t helps Daniel grow. He just takes him on and, uh, as an apprentice. And so there comes the day when, when he, Daniel takes on these bullies and he's able to defeat them. And, and now all of a sudden, not only are, is he free, but, but his friends are free of these bullies. And, and, and Mordecai is like Mr. Miyagi. That, that's really who he is. Mordecai is a Mr. Miyagi. You see, behind every person God uses in a mighty way is a Mordecai. If you don't get anything else out of this message today, I want you to hear that. Behind every person God uses in a mighty way is a Mordecai. And there are a lot of Mordecais in the world and only so many Esthers. I've learned to stop taking credit for what I do because God is the one that's behind it and he is the one moving it. But it's also, I stand on the shoulders of a lot of Mordecais. Paul Jetter was a founding pastor, so 27 years ago when the Valley Church started, or Upper Valley Community Church in those days, he was the lead pastor, and he saw something in me even before then, and so he began to spend time with me. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> and it really took him a long time <laughs> with me. <laughs> he, he, but, he, but he was patient, and he saw things in me I didn't see in myself, and he began to develop me, teach me how to pastor, teach me how to lead a church, teach me how to preach, teach me just... The, the things that you need to understand how to lead. And, and so he, he poured into me. He, he was a Mordecai. And, and without Paul Jetter, I'm, I'm not able to do the things that I'm, I'm able to do. 
And then there's Bill Walker. Bill Walker is the church planner. He's a friend of mine. He's part of the gasoline peer group that Brad and I are a part of. But, but Bill's a straight shooter. He's, he's a little older than I am. And, and, and when you, when you, he'll just look you now and tell you exactly what he thinks. And we all need people like that. And Bill is that, like, he's just helped develop me along the way because he's been such a straight shooter. And then there are others. There are others that God has put in my life. One was Greg Pickering. Greg Pickering was a, a guy when I first started coming back to church. And I remember we walked through the door. We, were, we weren't used to all this stuff. First Nazarene church we'd been in and the first Protestant church because I grew up Catholic. And so we walked through this. We walked through the doors. And there was this guy who came up to me almost immediately and started to talk to me and just connect with me. And it, I bet it wasn't just a few minutes into the conversation. He asked me to play softball. Well, I, we had just moved to the town where we lived, and I'll just tell you, we were hungry for a relationship. And so immediately we said, I said, yes, I was ready to play softball, and we were hooked. And, uh, and so then over time, he began to invite us to his Sunday school class, and we, we, we were part of his life group, his Sunday school. And, and he would invite us over for lunch after service, and we'd go to his house and eat with his family after meals. He even took us on a vacation. I mean, who does that? And Greg just was, was, a mis, was a Mordecai to us. He, he built into us. He cared about us. He gave us that security, I guess, that we needed to thrive. Without, without those Mordecais in my life, I would never have taken the journey that I've taken. I'm convinced of that. In verse 7, it says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. So, so Esther is both a, a, she's got an identity, identity as a Jewish person, but she's also her name is also Esther. She's got an identity as, as, as the queen of the Persians. And so she's got really two identities going. And Mordecai helps her make the choice about which identity is going to come first. It's the same choice you and I have to make. There's a struggle within us, isn't there, as we come to Jesus Christ. Are we going to live the way the world wants us to live? Or are we going to choose to live for God as our priority? And, and Esther struggles with that. When it comes to, to the moment, she has to decide, is she willing to put it all on the line and obey what God is calling her to do? Will she put it all on the line and help save the Jewish people? I mean, that's a, that's a big struggle that she goes through. Every one of us, if we're honest, has that same struggle within us. Are we going to do what we want to do? Are we going to stay in control? Are we going to protect ourselves and live out the identity that the world says we ought to? Are we going to live out the identity as a child of God? Put in a position for the time that he's put us in. Are we going to do that? And Mordecai takes Esther in. He, he adopts her. He gives her the security she needs. He protects her. He develops her. He helps her understand that, that God is the sovereign God of all the Jewish people and that he's the one who sets her value, not kings, not anyone else. And, and much of the time, Mordecai's kind of behind-the-scenes kind of guy, if you will. Like, you, don't, you wouldn't hear about Mordecai. He did, he did his, his name's not on the book. He, he's not on the marquee. He's kind of behind the scenes trying to save the Jewish people, doing what he can where he's at. God never calls us to do more than we can do. He never calls us to, to, to try to be the hero. He calls us to be Mordecai's. You know, Mordecai was courageous when he needed to be courageous. He, he, he didn't lay back. He wasn't passive. He took the steps he needed to take. And ultimately, God uses Mordecai to build up Esther so that she can be the hero. So I got a question for you today. Are you a hero maker? Are you a hero maker 
or instead are you just looking to be the hero? I really had to think about that in my own spiritual journey because there's times where I think, well, God's probably calling me to do something big, so, so how can I make my big mark? How can I, and I've come to realize that you and I, don't, we can't manufacture those moments. We, we can only be obedient and faithful to the moments God gives us, to the place that he puts us in. And the question is, will we be faithful with the, with the place that he's put us, with the position he's called us to? Or are we always looking to do something more? Do we, do we need to be like Haman and we want the power and the prestige and the position? And will we angle for that? Or are we willing to do whatever God calls us to do in the lives of the people right around us? You know, one of my heroes is Billy Graham. I, I just I love how he reached so many people for Jesus Christ. Do you know Billy Graham had a Mordecai? He had a Mordecai, several Mordecais. Do you know there was a, have you ever heard of, of Edward Kimball? Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in the Chicago area. And uh, he, he had this class of young, unruly kids, <laughs> probably fifth and sixth graders, I'm guessing, uh, by that description, maybe junior high. You know, and, and he committed that he was going to pray over and lead every one of those kids to Christ. And so he started doing that. But there was this one young child, one kid, teen, named Dwight Moody. And, and he wasn't having it. <laughs> and so one day... One day, Edward Kimball went to where he worked. He was stocking shelves at a shoe store. And he went there, and he just was burdened to impress upon this young man, upon Dwight, that, that he needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that the whole trajectory of his life was going to be changed if he had just said yes to a relationship with him, not only here on this life, but for eternity. And so he, he, he shared that all again in that shoe store, and Dwight Moody accepted Jesus. He, he got it. And Dwight Moody developed the, the, Booty, the Moody Bible Institute. He, he went on to preach to thousands. And one of the people he preached to was a guy named Chapman. Well, Chapman became an evangelist himself. And, and Chapman started to teach and preach about Jesus Christ. And there was a guy in the audience one Sunday, and the guy in the audience was named Billy Sunday. Now, Billy Sunday, in, in those days, was a baseball player. He had a day off, so he went to the service. And and, and he, he, he just was crumbled. He was broken, and he came to Jesus Christ, and he decided to give up baseball. So he gave up baseball and started preaching. And Billy Sunday preaches, and uh, he's sharing with a guy named Mordecai Ham. Now, I don't think this is a coincidence, but the guy is named Mordecai Ham. And he shares with him, and Mordecai comes to know Jesus, and so he starts to teach people, and he has a series of meetings at a place called in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so he goes to Charlotte, and he's teaching, and there are posters, you know, that this guy has come to share this truth, and, and, and these meetings are here. And there was a guy named Billy Frank who said, I'm not going to any of those. And Billy Frank resisted until about the third, second, third day, and he went to one of those meetings, and, and his heart was broken. God had drawn him there, and he said yes to Jesus. He went on to become Billy Graham, this, this great evangelist who probably reached more people with the gospel through these events than anyone else in history, including the Apostle Paul, who what, writes about a third of the New Testament, who, who is this great church planner, who, who plants all these churches through the, through the whole New Testament era. And yet, I, I've really thought about that. It, it all started with a Mordecai. It, it all started with a Mordecai. Somebody once said this. It says, you might be able to count the apples on a tree. But who can count the apples in a seed? 
You know, when I was little, my dad used to take us to the orchards and we would, we would pick apples and then we would make apple cider out of them. And yeah, maybe there were 100 or 200 apples on a tree and you could count them. You could see the apples on a tree. But when there's a seed and when that seed is planted and nurtured and cared for, an ester, and when it grows, who knows what God is going to do with the apples that grow and then plant more seeds. So i got a question for you today. Did God use Billy Graham in greater ways, or did he use Edward Kimball in a greater way? I've always thought it was Billy Graham. I always thought it was the Esther that God used in this marvelous, this great way, the, the stadium events. Esther gets her name on the book. It's certainly the Esthers and the Billy Grahams. And, the, and you know what I've come to realize? I honestly believe that God used Edward Kimball in maybe the greatest way of all. Because he, he nurtured and he cared for and he planted and he cultivated. And he grew up Dwight Moody, who reached thousands, and then Chapman, who reached thousands, and then Billy Sunday, who reached thousands, all the way to Mordecai Ham, and then Billy Graham. Without Edward Kimball, none of that happens. And so today, I want to ask you the question, do you see yourself as an Esther, or do you see yourself as a Mordecai? How do we apply all this? Like, like when the rubber meets the road, what do we do with all this? I think there's two things we can do. One is we got to go find a Mordecai. You and I need a Mordecai. Without a Paul Jenner, without a Greg Pickering, without a Bill Walker, without some other people that God has put in my life that have built in me and have believed in me and have, have given me the ability to, to grow and to learn and, 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 to, and to be able to take risks, Without them, I'm not able to do what I'm able to do. And, and I might never preach in a stadium. I, I may never, never lead millions. But if I can lead one, and then they lead one, you need a Mordecai. The question is, do you have that person in your life who believes in you more than you do? <laughs> do you have that person who will invest in you, who will challenge you? You know, people have often asked me, Andy, how do you find a mentor? When I've challenged people to find someone to put in their life, they say, well, I tried, I just, I, I called somebody and I asked them if they'd be my mentor, and they said no. I really don't think that's the best way because the reality is that's a big challenge. If somebody calls you and says, I want, I want, to, I want you to be my mentor, you're probably like, oh, that, that's big. You know what I've learned? Look for somebody who you want to be like. Look for somebody who has the marriage you want to have. Look for somebody who has the courage and displays the kind of courage that you want to have, that have, have the godly traits that you want to have, and then, and then go to them and just ask them in one particular area. Ask them for help or for advice. They'll do it. And then soak it in and take action. And you know what? When you do that, you've just added value to their life because God's called them to pour out into other people. If they're a follower of Christ, we've all been called to make disciples. We've all been called to be Mordecai's. It's all through the scriptures. And when you do that, you add value in their life. And you know what? Over time, you're going to develop a Mordecai. You're, you're going to have a Mordecai in your life. They're going to be there to form you and to shape you. And they're going to build into you over time. And so you and I, we need a Mordecai 
in our life. It says, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. See, all the more as the day approaches. God has called us to be encouragers. And so you need a Mordecai in your life. Have you found one? Do you have a Mr. Miyagi who will tell you, wax on, wax off? And then be a Mordecai. You and I, you and I need to be Mordecai's. And all of us can do that. We can't all be Esther's. We're not all put into that moment. We're not all Billy Graham's. We're not all Joseph's and King David's. We're not all Samson's. But all of us have the ability to invest in others. You know what Paul writes to Timothy? Paul is the Mr. Miyagi to Timothy, right? That Timothy is this, is this young man who's starting to learn how to lead the church and to preach and to, and, to, and, and to obey God's movement in his life. And he writes to him, who's an Esther of sorts. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's the Billy Graham story all over again. He says, I've been taught. And others have invested in me, and now I'm investing in you. And trust that to reliable people who will then also be qualified to teach others. That's four generations right there. And God calls us to start planting seeds. God calls you and I to start planting seeds, to in, not indiscriminately. You know, sometimes I remember when we were kids, you know, they, they had this broadcast spreader. Dad would just turn this wheel, and like all these seeds would just fly out all over the place, and whatever happened, happened. <laughs> No, I, I don't think that's what God has in mind. I think when we, when we plant seeds, it's not to be arbitrary, but we're to, we're to begin to invest in people's lives, and we're begin to cultivate, and we're begin to weed, and we're begin to water, develop, protect that, that fledgling growth. That's what God calls us to do. And so the question is, who has God positioned in your life today that you can be a Mordecai to? And are you being obedient to that behind-the-scenes call that God has in your life? I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to do one of two things. And by the way, we're beginning with the end in mind, right? So I'm, uh, I want you to think about this whole Mordecai thing, and we're going to celebrate communion together in just a, a few moments. But I want to challenge you with one of two things. I want to challenge you to decide, do I need a Mordecai in my life? W would you commit, it between, this is between you and God, I'm going to find a Mordecai. I I'm going to find somebody to begin to build into my life so that when I get to those critical moments, like I've got somebody. Because here's the real scoop. When you look at the story of Esther, there was a moment where she pushed back about saving the people of God. God uses her ultimately to save the Jewish people. Like of all the people he could have picked, he picked the one that was at the lowest, the refugee, the, the orphan, the one who had no basis, no power. He uses her. But she comes into a moment where she has to decide, am I going to, I'm going to keep my identity with the world or I'm going to live out the identity that God's given me. You're at that same moment. You've got to choose. You're going to have to choose. And, and if Mordecai, I'm convinced, if Mordecai wasn't there in that moment because she was like, I can't go. He hasn't, he hasn't called me into his presence for 30 days. And if he doesn't put that golden scepter out, I'm dead meat. That, that's really what she's thinking. I'm like, I can't go. And Mordecai says, if you don't do it, God's still going to accomplish his purpose. He's sovereign. Relief and deliverance will come from another place. But you and your family will perish. You're going to miss out. 
See, God has called you to something big. He's called you to be an Edward Kimball. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can change lives, hundreds and thousands, and you don't have to be Billy Graham? You don't have to be Esther. You don't have to be King David. You just have to be faithful right where God's put you. And so maybe where you need to start is just say, I need a Mordecai in my life. I, 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 need, I need somebody to help me to make those choices, to, to look me in the eye. You need a Bill Walker. This is Andy. Come on. This is what it is. You need that kind of person. You need somebody that believes in you. But maybe you're here today, and you've had that. And now it's time to pass it on to the next person. And you need to be a Mordecai. So I'm convinced that's how God calls us to change the world, to make disciples. Four generations, Paul tells Timothy, through, through, through. Because you can count the apples on the tree. But who can count the seeds or the apples in a seed? Who, who can count that? You can change the lives of a hundred people. You can change the lives of a thousand people by being a Mordecai. So I'm going to challenge you. I don't know if you've got a connect card, whatever card in front of you. I want you to commit during this communion time. I want that as you celebrate who God is in your life, as you celebrate what he's done for you, I want you to make a commitment that I'm going to get a Mordecai or I'm going to be a Mordecai. Now here's how much I'm going to trust God's sovereignty in this. I'm going to trust that he's going to move your hearts in the right way, that there'll be enough people to say, I want a Mordecai, <laughs> to the number of people who say, I need a Mordecai. So would you just be faithful to whatever God tells you to do today? Just do that. Because I'll just tell you, I've been a pastor for, well, I've been in the church, this, this church plant for 27 years now. I've been a pastor for uh, tw almost 20 of those, I guess. And the number one thing that God has allowed me to do is we do this thing called the journey study. And I know you guys do that too. But it's, it really just is an eight-week opportunity for me to build into somebody's life. And God has allowed me to pour into people one at a time and just to be a Mordecai. And I've always said, when people ask me, if you, if you could only do one thing, what would it be? It'd be that journey study. It'd be being a Mordecai, because some of those have gone on to help us launch our Troy campus and have gone on to other places to reach lots of people. See, that's how God works. Be an Edward Kimball. Can, can you imagine, can you imagine Joliet if, if there were a thousand Mordecais running around investing in people? And some of those became a Dwight Moody. And some of those became a Billy Graham. And others just became another Mordecai and another Mordecai, and another Mordecai. That's really God's plan. That's what God wants to do in this place. It's going to take all of us saying yes to being a Mordecai, not trying to be a hero, but really realizing God's called all of us to be hero makers. That's what God wants to do. That's the message. And God's going to, I used to preach this wrong. I used to preach, like, if you don't do your part, somebody's not going to hear the gospel. That's not true. I believe God's still going to speak the gospel to each person whether you're obedient or not. It's just whether you're going to family is going to perish. It's just whether you're going to be blessed. You're going to be a part of what God's doing or whether you're going to miss out 
on your very purpose, the reason you were called into this place, the reason you're part of the family of God. Don't, don't miss what God created you for. There is no greater joy than walking and seeing your child walk with the Lord. And I'm talking your spiritual child and your biological children. That's what God's called you to. That's your purpose. Let's pray. And I'd like the worship team to come on up. Father, I just want to pray over this church. I want to pray over Brad and Janelle and, and the leaders of this, this church. I want to pray, Father, your protection around them. I want to pray your provision for them. I want to pray, Father, that you would enable them to be the Mordecai's you've called them to be in the lives of people around them. Father, I pray for each person who is part of this church, who have come into this place. Father, if this is their first Sunday, I pray that they'll, they'll feel that belonging. They'll, they'll feel that they belong here. And then they'll begin that journey toward you to believe, to, to, to see who you really are and what you want to do. But Father, would you help all of us to take, to take our eyes off the world and to put our eyes on you, to not be scared to give you control of our lives, to not fear the things that you're going to call us to do, but just begin to allow you to flow through us to other people, to build into others, and to see this world change. Because the, the world is crying out for you, Father. They're trying everything, but it doesn't work, and we have the answer. And if we'll be Mordecai's, there are going to be some Esther's raised up and other Mordecai's. So, Lord, do that. And do it in this place with this people. And may you be made famous. May you be made famous, Lord. Thank you. I want you to take the communion cup. And the communion is for all those who've said yes to Jesus. And this morning, if you've, if you've not said yes to Jesus, we'd love for you to join us. Just pray. Talk to God right now and say, you know, Jesus, I, I, I want to trust in you. I want you to be the leader of my life. I, I want to walk with you. And you call me to, to trust in you and then begin to follow you. And so I want to confess all that I've done. I want to put my life in your hands. I want to turn from the way I've been living. I want to, I want to serve you. I want, to, I want to follow you. If that's you this morning, say yes and join us. You're, you're going to peel back the first layer and the wafer will be on top. And then when you peel back the second, there'll be the juice. Now, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Like I've let myself be broken so that you won't be, so that I can heal up your brokenness. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I'm going to give the last full measure. I'm going to give everything. And my, my blood, when it's poured out, that's the formula for forgiveness. And I want you to be forgiven. I want you to be with me for eternity. And so we celebrate what he's done on the cross. But I don't think communion is just a it is a celebration of who he is, but I'll tell you, it's a time of commitment for you and me. It's a time to say, Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to take the next step. So would you, as you celebrate communion right where you're at, would you, would you take the next step God is calling you to take this morning, whatever that is? Just take the next step, whether you've been day one, this is your first day here, or whether you've been here, well, you, I don't know how long <laughs> this church has been here, <laughs> but for as long as it's been here. You say, I want to take the next step I know to take. So let's take together and then we'll sing this song as, as we celebrate communion together.
If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information. 